Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Sunday edition of Humanity Matters Show. I am your host, Philip Fletcher, where we discuss and reflect on issues related to faith and philosophy, nonprofit leadership, and social issues. We want to engage with a host of different ideas and perspectives on what it means to be a human being and to flourish as a human being in this society of ours. And so thank you for joining me on this Sunday evening. It's a full uh, weekend. NFL football has started back. If you are a uh, resident of Arkansas, I'm sure you are more than still on a high after the the beat down that they gave uh, to Texas uh, last night, uh, their introduction, if you will, to the Southeastern Conference. Uh, I know their official transition isn't for a couple more years, but nonetheless, uh, Arkansas put on a pretty impressive show uh, last night in Fayetteville. And if you are a fan, alumni, uh, a student or just a general watcher of football, especially here in Arkansas and the Razorbacks. I'm sure they did you proud. So congratulations to Coach Pittman. And also congratulations to my daughter, my youngest, uh, Nichelle. She actually works in uh, the recruiting team for Razorback football. And so she was pretty elated and hyped about uh, that win and those athletes that she works with. So, hey, that's pretty awesome. Getting stuff started. As always, connect with me on any of the social media outlets, whether that is Twitter, Facebook, over on YouTube. Please subscribe over to YouTube. Again, I'm trying to hit that 200 mark. This is a personal uh, goal for myself, trying to hit that uh, by November. So, if you're on YouTube at any point, uh, go over, find, just put in the search bar, Dr. Philip Fletcher, and I would greatly appreciate it. And there's also, you can find uh, me over on the interwebs as well, Dr. Philip Fletcher, uh, or philipfletcher.org, philipfletcher.org. Hey, always looking for supporters. Uh, you know, this is work, this is time, you know, reading, talking to people, researching, so on and so forth. So if you would like to be a supporter, uh, go over to Patreon, just put in my name and for as little as five bucks, you can become a monthly sponsor of what is happening here uh, on this YouTube, Facebook live show, but also uh, just would put out across different social media and uh, a lot of content trying to put out over on patreon is some unique content that you're not going to see uh, here on youtube or over on facebook uh, some very unique content and uh, join me over there i appreciate it very much want to thank uh, new donor rob h who joined in also new subscribers john sergio fernando elizabeth so thank you very much for connecting uh Appreciate it very much. Coming up on September 27th, uh, an interview with Larry Sharp, veteran entrepreneur and former libertarian candidate for the governor of New York. So we're going to be talking all things about libertarianism. We're going to talk about reparations and a host of different other topics. So be looking for that. It'll be pretty awesome. Uh, 
If you want to catch me anywhere, this is where I'll be doing some speaking coming up. I am so glad to be able to get back out and get in the midst of audiences and do some public speaking again. I really missed it last year. So October 3rd, I'll be coming to Fort Smith, Arkansas, talking about organizational leadership, uh, followership, and a host of different things, communication as well. October 6th, I'll be at Hendrick College in Conway, Arkansas. I'll be talking about compassion in difficult times as part of the Steel Center uh, discussions. And then on October 14th, the class of pain in the School of Leadership. I'll be talking, giving one of the bear talks at UCA downtown. Hey, for uh, more information, jump too fast. All right. For more information, uh, just go to my website, philipfletcher.org. My nonprofit is hosting big fundraiser coming up October 2nd. All right. Uh, That's a Saturday. It's the Coho Game Night. Just go over to Facebook. You'll see that event. You'll see this cool little blue logo. It'll be a lot of great outdoor games. It's a fundraiser for a family. Bring your kids. Make a donation. Tickets are $15 early bird, five bucks for your kids. A lot of great games and food and music as uh, we just seek to raise money for our nonprofit work here in Conway, Arkansas. And my nonprofit is the City of Hope Outreach. Again, that is Coho Game Night. So be searching for that on Facebook. You can go over to our Facebook page, the City of Hope Outreach, and there you can purchase tickets for that event or you can just make a donation. Either way, we greatly appreciate it as over there on my nonprofit, we continue to provoke hope in individuals, families, and communities over time for the glory of God. So what are we going to get into today? If you have a question or comment, I would love for you to reach out to me. You can always send me a question over at humanitymatterspodcast at gmail.com, humanitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, my Friday show, this past one, I engaged with a very lengthy, very substantive question with some uh, several parts within that question, and it was very fruitful. And hey, I read your question, and if I make your question like the substance of the show, I'm going to send you some swag. So if you got a question dealing with faith, philosophy, nonprofit leadership, uh, leadership in any regards, so any of the social things that are going on. Hey, send them my way, humanitymatterspodcast at gmail.com, and I will entertain it, look at it, and your question may become the topic of the show. And if it is, I'll send you something. So thanks a lot. You got a comment or anything on tonight, uh, just put it in the comment section, whether you're on YouTube or on Facebook. If you could, hey, if you're watching this live right now, share it, or you can catch it later over on YouTube as well as my podcast, Humanity Matters Podcast, and those release uh, once a week. So we're going to get into uh, some topics on tonight. Uh, We're going to be talking about 9-11, some reflections on that. Uh, And then we're going to dig into Arkansas Comic Con. If you're a nerd type like myself, if you look behind me, I love comic book type stuff, superhero type stuff. I like collectibles and things like that. So we're going to Uh, talk a little bit about the Arkansas Comic Con that's happening and concluded today. As a matter of fact, I was there yesterday. And then we're going to look at different strokes for different folks. Apparently, uh, not everybody is being told to take the vaccine. 
And then finally, a word to young men. Saw an article uh, in the Wall Street Journal that, you know, this really moved me about how uh, there is not as many men attending two and four year colleges and universities. What explains that? All right, we're going to dig into that and I'll give my thoughts on that as well. So 9-11, 20 years ago, me personally, uh, I remember where I was at uh, when that day happened. Um, I was at my mom's house on leave, uh, my wife and my son and oldest daughter, my youngest hadn't been uh, born uh, yet. Uh, they were here actually in Arkansas and I was stationed at Fort Knox and I was on leave and it was going to come actually here to Arkansas to speak at my uh, wife's uncle's church. But all that changed. Right. So me and my mom, uh, while I was in the family room, she was in the kitchen and uh, she had told me to turn on the news. And that's when we seen uh, that the first tower uh, had been hit and then watched the second tower and all that transpired after that. And I remember getting contacted that all leaves had been canceled and had to return to base. And, you know, from that point, we was on a war footing. You know, that's why, you know, ultimately, uh, if you don't know, if you raise your right hand to join the military, whatever branch that is in, uh, ultimately, at least as I was told in the army, we are to fight and win the nation's war, the nation's wars. And, we were under attack and, you know, come to find out uh, who initiated that uh, attack. Um, and then obviously 20, within that 20 year period, we responded in kind. Afghanistan, Iraq, which I was a part of and OIF3, um, a lot of men and women lost on uh, September 11th, 2001 uh, in New York at the Pentagon. I was actually in OCS class with uh, a fellow candidate uh, who was at the Pentagon um, when it was attacked. Um, and then obviously what happened with United Flight 93, uh, which many believe was headed to uh, Washington, D.C. And so, um, you know, that year, that day is a heavy day, obviously, if, if you look at the remembrances that happened yesterday. It's a heavy day for many people who lost loved ones, uh, firefighters, policemen uh, whose lives were lost, uh, those individuals who were in the World Trade Towers, um, those whose lives were lost in Flight 93 and at the Pentagon. But also, I think we need to remember as well, even coming on the other side of the withdrawal uh, from Afghanistan, the number of lives that were lost, uh, soldiers, um, men and women uh, in the desert who lost their lives as a result of what happened in September 11th, 2001. So should we never forget? I don't think there's going to be a segment of us that's going to never forget. I think there's going to be others who are going to move on one because they were not directly impacted by that day. Um, there's going to be some by, you know, just association who are, who are empathetic to that situation uh, who are not going to forget. Uh, but I also know this is that over time, 
the remembrance of such events do diminish. I mean, if we think about it, we think about what happened at Pearl Harbor. Uh, we don't celebrate that as intensely as it once was because of the nearness of that time. And, you know, over time, uh, uh, the same thing is going to happen with 9-11. You know, uh, God forbid there may be some other event that happens in which it takes a, it rises over what happened um, on September 11, 2001. Just like September 11, 2001, I would make an argument, it rose above what happened uh, at Pearl Harbor, which uh, led to our entrance into World War II. So there are going to be those who are not going to forget, right? There are going to be those whose lives are forever marked by uh, that event 20 years ago. Those who are civilians and those who have served in any capacity uh, in the military or in the government. All right. Uh, but the other thing is this. I think the other thing that this gives us the opportunity to really think about uh, from a global perspective is really paying attention to uh, what our government is doing in terms of its foreign policy and the actions that it takes publicly. And let's be honest, the actions that it takes covertly uh, that impacts the lives of uh, individuals and nations and those governments overseas. And at some point, those could come back to bite us. In other words, the chickens coming home to roost. And so another thing, as I thought about September 11, 2001, is the importance of us really paying attention and asking the hard questions what our government is doing, and more specifically, what is the president's foreign policy agenda? All right. Two, what is the posture of the Defense Department? Right. Namely, where bases are located, uh, the military actions that are, are being uh, planned uh, and being executed, and asking elected officials what's going on with this right and then the third thing is to even inquire about the secretary of state and his or her actions relating united states to other foreign nations those i look at those individuals the president his or her foreign policy agenda secondly the congress all right because they are the ones that are appropriate funding for all these types of activities. The Secretary of State, his or her role in relationship to the president's foreign policy agenda, and then also those who have to execute some of these actions, namely the United States military. Because right, wrong, or indifferent, there's going to be those men and women who have to execute yes i have and they have and they have risen their hand to support and defend the constitution but we also have to remember this is that there are trade-offs and that there are men and women who die overseas 
there are men and women who see and experience things that are uh, emotionally, psychologically impactful. There are things that can and do happen to men and women who execute these agendas and they suffer from it physically. And then when they come home, how do we welcome them? How do we treat them? And I'm thinking more so about my brothers and sisters who served in the military and here in Arkansas, the number of men and women, veterans who are homeless, who wrestling with severe PTSD, men and women who are now disabled, who have to now live a new way of life. But that's because these men and women carried out orders. They upheld their oath and they carried out orders and they carry the brunt. They carry the brunt of what is executed. While those who write the policies, the president, those who quote unquote negotiate these policies, secretary of state, and those who fund these activities, the Congress, they are at a distance, okay? They are at a distance from the actual situations and the consequences of their decisions. And so when I talk about 9-11, we have to really ask those questions. And there's nothing wrong to ask those questions of the United States involvement with in the Middle East. What are those things that they are doing that we do know about? And what are those things that they are doing that we don't know about that could at some particular time in the future cause such a blowback that we have an event like September 11, 2001? There's nothing wrong with asking that. And the reason that we should ask those questions is so that we don't have an event like 9-11. Again, that we have to ask those questions. How is our money being spent? How are we being represented overseas? Because there are actions that are being taken in the name of America, right? That if I'm sure if we knew about them, we would find them morally reprehensible. That if it happened here in the United States, we would be marching in the streets. We would be calling for defunding, so on and so forth. I'm using the language of the past year. So now let's look at what is happening overseas. Questions we should ask ourselves is, why do we still have a posture of bases all throughout Europe in a Cold War footing. We should ask questions about South Korea. We should ask questions about our posture in the Middle East. We should ask those questions because those things happen based off of funding, based off of our tax dollars. And those are decisions that are being made by individuals that we have elected 
into office. Those are decisions that are also being carried out by our brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and moms and dads. So we have to have the courage to ask those questions so that we don't have to have another United Flight 93 going into a Pennsylvania field or planes into the World Trade Center. And I know there's different thoughts about that and what happened at the Pentagon, no sight of a plane, so on and so forth. Those are great questions to ask. And I think those are reasonable questions to ask as well, because look at what came out of that, the Patriot Act, and how that affected our privacy. FISA warrants, this the secret FISA court, right? Do you know who's on that court? But you're paying for them. Remember that. So those are the things I think that we should ask. And I think they're reasonable. It's not unpatriotic. It's not, um, it's not unreasonable. It's not. Because remember, all of this stuff is happening because we're funding it or also money is being printed, which impacts the money that we earn as well. So those are my thoughts on uh, 9-11. Oh, I had one more thought. This whole idea about unity. So I was paying attention to the newscast and I paid attention to the fact that uh, in one location, every president was present with the exception of President Donald Trump. He was in New York working with honoring policemen, right? So every president has been involved in some form or fashion or way regarding the war on terrorism, regarding Afghanistan, regarding celebrating, remembering 9-11 and what happened. So if we're talking about unity, if we're talking about coming together, you have to ask yourself, why was that president excluded? Why was not his acts covered in what he was doing to honor people? I think this idea about unity is simply a farce because of what the president, President Joe Biden, had just talked about on Thursday. Because that was not a unifying message that he gave out. So were we unified a couple of days after 9-11? Sure was, of course. But then... We know what happened after that. People, again, returned to their sides. Bush was a, remember, George W. Bush that everybody was lauding today was the same George Bush that people were calling a war criminal. Him and Rumsfeld and uh, Cheney, that he should be locked up. That's the same George W. Bush. He's lauded today, but back then he was called a war criminal. and should be brought up on charges. Grave things that was happening in Iraq, so on and so forth. So this idea of unity, I, I wonder sometimes. I wonder sometimes. But nonetheless, um, much love to those who lost loved ones. Um, seven here in Arkansas, as a matter of fact. Um, those in New York, those across America who had loved ones on those planes those men and women 
Army, Marines, Coast Guard, Air Force, Navy, who lost their lives as well. Can't forget them. But we also can't forget um, that the decision makers have a responsibility to us to conduct the affairs of our nation globally in such a way that it doesn't bring blowback on us like a 9-11. So those are my thoughts on that. Uh, Once again, thank you for joining the Humanity Matters show for September 12, 2021. I am your host, Philip Fletcher. If you got a question, we get some some comments right here. Um, You can email me, humanitymatterspodcast at gmail.com, humanitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. All right. Nicole says she was at her mom's house too. That's right. All right. She says, I remember sitting in line to get gas and the line was around the corner. Mom was in the hospital and it was just me and two of our kids, and I was full pregnant with Michelle. That is correct. All righty. So moving on, just to lighten the mood for a little bit. So Arkansas Comic Con happened yesterday. Whoop, whoop. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Probably lose some people here because I'm about to nerd out a little bit. I got some cool purchases. I got me a 1978 Avengers uh, comic book that I'm going to get graded. Uh, Hope to get a good uh, return on that. Got it for $10, but it's valued at about uh, $600. So we'll see about that. I uh, got a cool t-shirt and some uh, three variant editions for Heroes in Crisis. It was a DC uh, story event that really dealt with uh, the mental health of uh, superheroes in the DC universe. So Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and the like. Uh, so it was a very Good story. Uh, so there's some variant covers. One cover uh, variant was uh, when uh, Doomsday had killed uh, Superman. And that was back in 1991. And my other variant cover was when uh, Bane broke the back of the back of Batman. And actually, those two similar events happened in the same year. Like, whoa, what was DC thinking? But nonetheless, um, that led to the the Nightfall series and uh, eventually uh, Azrael becoming Batman for a while and then Batman healing himself, defeating Azrael and defeating Bane and becoming the Dark Knight. So obviously Superman returned after the reign of the Superman, um, became long-haired Superman for a while. And then the Heroes in Crisis, though, really deals with mental health and how uh, superheroes deal with that. Nonetheless, one of the things I saw I saw Comic-Con and I think was one of the beautiful things is that it was held at the State House Convention Center in Little Rock. And you're walking around and you're seeing young, old, black, white, Asian, Latino, a host of different people, right? You've got some individuals that are cosplaying. Cosplay is simply costume play they're wearing their favorite uh hero whether that's from uh, manga uh anime uh any of the the usual characters from marvel or dc star trek star wars um video games and so it was awesome i took a lot of great pictures 
with some Jedi, uh, a Sith Lord, Stormtrooper, uh, who else? Mario and Luigi, uh, a Ghostbuster, and oh, the Mandalorian and, and, and Baby Yoda. But so seeing all of that was a great real life expression of what freedom looks like while not harming somebody else. Everybody was expressing who they were and everybody was just riding, right? Everybody was willing to take pictures with one another. People were encouraging one another. Hey, that's a great costume. Oh, you look great. Free market was going on. You had, you know, different places that were selling things, whether they're collectibles, comic books, you can go up. In in some cases, you could barter, right, with somebody in a collectible. Um, A host of different things. People were selling weapons, right, Uh, swords um, and and things like that for cosplay. Um, So you had great expressions of imagination, creativity. You had free exchange that was happening in there. You had great discussions and panel discussions. And it was diverse and it was inclusive. But here is the thing. Nobody was forced to be any of those types of ways. Nobody was shamed because they were cosplaying or because they were not cosplaying, right? Um, It was just an atmosphere. It was energetic, so on and so forth. So when you hear me talk about freedom and freedom to flourish and flourishing such that you are not harming someone or taking somebody else's stuff. Comic cons are a great example of that. And so, if you've never been to a comic con, like in Arkansas, I would encourage you to go. I saw Sting yesterday. Uh, who else? Tara Reid, Shannon Elizabeth, uh, the guy who voices um, uh, Dragon Ball Z, that main guy. I forget his name. Um, but it was. That's that when you hear me talk about an individual being able to flourish as he or she sees fit while not taking somebody else's stuff or harming anybody, Comic Con was that great uh example. And uh yeah, I'll come back up to the nerd out festival. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, but like I said, this like Right here, the idea of the hero and the hero story is like huge for me. Uh, The idea of an individual having a principle uh, of which they are seeking to uphold and they uh, are willing to um, put themselves on the line for the sake of somebody else. And a lot of times they're not looking for the thanks. They're seeking to carry out their purpose and There is a semblance of hope. There's even a semblance of hope, even in the dark night. Really think about it. And that gives them meaning. Those are the things I just talked about. So if you're trying to understand, like, why is that guy who's like almost 50, he collect all that stuff. He got a PhD and all that. Like, that's one of the reasons why. So if you live in San Diego, like one of my big things is I want to go to the San Diego Comic-Con because I that's the if you will, that's the Mecca, that's the the holy place, if you will, uh, for an event like that. And I think that would be cool uh, to attend. So, you know, that's on my my bucket list. All right. So moving on to the third segment. Woo! 
different strokes for different folks. So Newsweek reports, all right, that, and this is written by, uh, you can have to excuse me in the pronunciation of the name, Dara Roach, all right, September 10th, 2021, and this was filed at 11 a.m., all right, and headline, members of Congress and their staff are exempt from Biden's vaccine mandate. Say what? So, really? So this came out on Friday. Biden gave his talk on Thursday. So it reads, President Joe Biden's new vaccine mandate for federal employees uh, don't apply to members of Congress or those who work for Congress or the federal court system. Biden issued two executive orders on Thursday requiring vaccination against COVID for federal workers and contractors who work for the federal government. He also asked the Department of Labor to issue an emergency order requiring businesses with more than 100 employees to ensure their workers are vaccinated or tested on a weekly basis. So the order on federal workers applies to employees only of the executive branch, the House of Representatives and the Senate. Again, that's the people's house, right? Belong to the separate legislative branch and the courts to the judicial branch of the federal government. So, oh my goodness. So now we are honoring separation of powers, right? Okay. I find it interesting how my numbers go down, but I think this is important. I think this is very important. We need to pay attention how this 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 idea of equality under the fill in the blank is just not being applied. I think it's important. All right. So going on because Pelosi is about to speak. All right. The New York Times going further down again, quoting from this article Newsweek. September 10th, 2021. Go read it yourself. The New York Times reported on Thursday that the executive order doesn't apply to those who work for Congress or the federal court, citing White House officials. All right. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi said at a press conference on April 29th that the House couldn't require members to be vaccinated. Video clips of those remarks gained renewed attention online following Biden's announcement. And here's a quote from Pelosi. So, So here's the thing, and I'm quoting Pelosi. So, so here's the thing. We are, we cannot require someone to be vaccinated. That's just not what we can do. Listen to the reason. It is a matter of privacy to know who is or who isn't, Pelosi said, close quote. Hold on a second. So Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, third in line for the presidency of the United States, just said that they can't do it. And she appeals to privacy. It's a matter of privacy to know who is or who isn't. So going back to President Joe Biden's comment about the 80 million or so unvaccinated who are harming all of these people and who are upholding freedom and personal choice above everybody else, what he he's not including the people down the street in the people's house. Why not? Okay. 
Pelosi goes on to say this, and I quote, I can't go to the Capitol physician and say, quote, give me the names of people who aren't vaccinated so I can go encourage them or make it known to others to encourage them to be vaccinated, close quote. Continuing her quote, so we can't, we can't do that, she said, close quote. Pelosi's office reiterated that position in a statement to Newsweek on Friday, saying the speaker's April 29th remarks are, excuse me, were referring to the institution in which she serves, close quote. Quote, she cannot, she's saying she cannot force members to be vaccinated, which is true, the statement said. So here's the thing. All of those individuals there are American citizens. And there is the possibility that there are individuals who who work, American citizens who work and who happen to work in the House of Representatives or the speak or Senate, right? For some odd reason, they're not included in that 80 million. But everyday normal people are being treated as harming other people, as being the the reason why other people are are not getting into hospitals. They are the ones that's being maligned and being put in a position to make a choice between doing a particular medical procedure or want to find another place of employment. Again, she says it's a matter of privacy. So how is it a matter of privacy to those individuals who work in the House or the Senate, but it's not a matter of privacy when it relates to men and women like you or myself? Why is privacy related to those individuals and not to the individuals like you or I? The individuals you or I who, again, We vote to put those individuals in the office and we also pay those staff members, those elected members, whether they're uh, congressmen or senators. Why are they treated differently than us? Why are we discriminated against? Somebody had brought up the United States Postal Service how their union had fought to, as well, be quote-unquote exempt. There was even, there is even, I read a memo from a hospital here in our city who basically uh, mocked religious exemptions here in the city of Conway related to their particular hospital. And then in that letter, they laid out, uh, they appealed to fetal cells, and then they laid out all of these different things, Tylenol, ibuprofen, so on and so forth, that uses fetal cells. And in it, they would require an individual to sign this thing saying they're not going to take those things if they're also seeking a religious exemption regarding whatever vaccine regarding the COVID they're going to take. New York thumbs its nose at religious exemptions. Now, I have a strong understanding of why institutions thumb their nose or are beginning more and more to thumb their nose at religious exemptions. Carl Jung speaks a lot 
about this. And he explains that for the institution of religion, it is a competitor against the institution or the state, the religion, right? Religion positions itself, and I'm just saying religion in general, whether you're Christian, whether you're Muslim, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Buddhist, whether you're a, a Zoroastrian, right? What that does, it provides a way of thinking, a way of life that more than likely runs counter to the ideology, the worldview that the state puts out. And so for the state, it cannot have existing or have as strong an institutional power that contradicts itself in what it's trying to do. Again, Carl Jung has helped me understand this. So why are we being treated differently? If it is such a serious matter, why are we being treated differently? Why is it a matter of privacy for those individuals in the House and the Senate, but it's not a matter of privacy regarding me or you or your neighbor, regardless if you've gotten the vaccine or not? Again, I am not arguing pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine. Why different rules for the United States Postal Service? Why just 100 employees? These, again, are the questions that we should be asking. Now, as a follow-up, one of the things I've been thinking through is the, the growing necessity of parallel, vibrant institutions. What do I mean? The past year demonstrated and exposed even to a greater degree the weaknesses and the inefficiencies and the ineffectiveness of public schools. And so as a result, more parents have created their own little schools, homeschools, if you will, co-ops in order to educate their children, parallel institutions. Instead of government schools educating your students or your children, we will provide, people have determined they will provide a different way of educating their students. What's another example of another parallel type institution? Now we are seeing hospitals, right? Uh, my wife showed me an article today of what's happening in New York regarding labor and delivery, how uh, one hospital is going to have to temporarily pause labor and delivery, at least operating the labor and delivery department, okay? And this was reported in NBC News, okay? So again, you can go look this up, all right? It's incumbent on you to go look it up. So as a result, where do those women go give birth? Where do those women in one of the most, if not the most significant event in their life, 
to bring a life into the world, where do they go? If they cannot go to a hospital, right, where can they go? A parallel, vibrant institution that could be produced are, I'm talking to you, midwives and doulas, is that you create your own labor and delivery birth centers where women can go, families can go, and they can give birth, that they can be supported, that they can be advocated for, that they can birth the way that they want to birth since there are nurses and medical professionals, and I'm seeing these reports, who are walking off or not choosing to take the vaccine. So there needs to be parallel institutions that are running alongside the state institutions, right? Again, let's build on something else. These businesses, right? You got these businesses with 100 employees, and they may either drop the number of employees, lay people off, whatever thing they may do in order that they don't have to vaccinate everybody, right? Maybe this is a call for you. And I talked about this uh, Friday, my Friday show. Maybe it's time for you and your friends to now execute that idea that you've been talking about and create that parallel business so that you can continue to provide for yourself, provide for your family, but also to provide a service. And it may be a service that is of greater quality, greater substance than the service that have been provided before. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to begin to really think through these things and find ways to execute these things. Like, for argument's sake. I hope this would never happen. But we see shades of it. Like what happened in New York, what's happened in San Francisco, what's happened in New Orleans, it may have happened in other areas where food service places have requested or have required vaccination proof in order for you to eat at their places. Could could I imagine, could I envision a grocery store doing the same thing? You could. You could. For instance, Kroger, I'm sure they got more than 50 employees. What would it look like for like a Kroger or a Sam's to mandate it for their employees? But then they're like, you know what? We're just going to mandate it for anybody that comes into our store. So then the question becomes, what is the parallel institution in regards to providing food for your family. That's something to think about. Yes, we've got food pantries, okay? All right? I mean, we, in my nonprofit, we have a small market. There's other nonprofits in town that do similar things. But imagine if that were to happen at like a Kroger or a, a Sam's. Do we have the skills, the resources to do some farming, garden boxes, so on and so forth. It's just something to think about. I'm not saying that that would happen. I hope that wouldn't happen in terms of of grocery stores, all right? But if it's happening to hospitals, it's happening to two and four-year universities and colleges, if it's happening 
in medical situations, at least as it relates to their employees, if it's happening in regards to nurse nursing home facilities, in regards to their employees, and if it's happening to through the Department of Labor to come up with rules to to require employees of a hundred or more to do that to their required of their employees or weekly testing, how much further are we going to go? At what point do we ramp up these parallel institutions? Now, the sticking point is this, is that the the existing institutions, that rail in which the, the, the state is really driving it, they're still taking our money. And so we have money being taken to fund the existing thing. But we also need that money to create that parallel institution. So that's something that we have to figure out and think through. So those are my thoughts on uh, that. Again, we're going to dig into some comments. All right. Uh, Let me see. Jim Johnson says, uh, privilege of being politicians. Yes, Um, I would say so, Jim. That is uh, a privilege of being politicians. I think one of the, the dirty little secrets is, is that uh, those in government institutions have different rules. That's the same thing that's been brought up about qualified immunity regarding police officers. Okay. Um, in a similar vein, it's apples to oranges. But in this regard, regarding Speaker Pelosi and her comments back in April, which were reiterated this past Friday, that, hey, it's a matter of privacy. You can't be running around identifying people or letting people know that they need to be vaccinated. Different rules, like different rules. Yet again, we are the ones that put those individuals in office. We are the ones that fund all of this. And you have to ask yourself, why is it? Here's a question you should ask yourself. And let me ask something of individuals who are in churches or support a nonprofit, because I've experienced this. Do you go to your religious leaders or that council or whatever, however you're organized, and do you ask them how the offering money is being spent? Do you hold those individuals accountable in how that money is being spent? Do you go to a nonprofit and be like, hey, I want this money designated to go here and only here? So if we're doing that, the question becomes, why are we not doing that towards our city council, our quorum court, school board, state legislatures, federal government. How is it that it's okay that millions of dollars are being, billions of dollars are being used in covert activities that could actually have a blowback on us everyday citizens who just simply trying to make it in life, who just trying to fly on an airplane, but, you know, we got to get patted down, crotched down, our private areas checked, screened, and Threaten with a fine if we don't do it that way. Again, Jim Johnson is right. Privilege of being politicians. I'm simply asking the questions. And the question will be, will you? Here it is. That same energy 
And now I'm talking to Arkansas. That same energy that was brought by 76,000 individuals in Fayetteville last night, that same energy that was on social media, that same energy that's kept going like this all week, that same energy that had people jumping over the fences and storming the field as if they won the national championship, where is that same energy regarding something as significant in your life? I have a question. Fayetteville, the city of Fayetteville mandates masks. How many people who live in Fayetteville and who was at that game last night was wearing masks and vaccines? How many Fayetteville ends or whatever, however you say it, also are staunch, my kid is to go to school in masks? Did you go to mask at at the stadium last night? Or was that a different set of rules? But then you get mad at individuals who make an argument for not taking a vaccine or wearing a mask. How is it that it was okay at a football game, woo pig suey, but in every, people's everyday life, them just minding their own business, doing their own thing, people lose their lunch? Again, questions. I wonder how many Fayetteville City Council members were at that game last night. Just asking. All right, let's get to some more comments. All right, thanks, Jim, for the comment. All right, Kenneth Wallace says, rules for thee but not for thee has been a policy for a while regarding mask and vaccine mandates. Oh, Kenneth, I don't want to stop just at mask. All right. I want to look. I think we need to look at the whole shebang. We need to look at the whole shebang. What are the other rules that apply to one class of American citizens and is different than another class of American citizens? Something to ask ourselves. Does it include vaccines and, and these mass things? Yeah, sure. Yes. But what else as well? What else? What else? And then how should we respond, people? It's it how should we respond, people, so that we can live more free without harming one another and taking other people's stuff? Again, referencing back to Arkansas. Comic-Con. Hey, it's Philip Fletcher at Humanity Matters Show. Hey, please comment, share this video as we're going on right now. Thanks for everybody uh, that has uh, commented. All right. Appreciate y'all very much. Uh, again, or here comes Queen Dula or just birth at home. Yes. Or just birth at home. But also want to encourage you, get Dula support, midwifery support. They're great. All right. Uh, let me see. Julia says politicians has always to cover uh, each other. That is true. And double standards. Yes, double standards. All right. So again, that is from Newsweek, September 10th, 2021. 
headline, members of Congress and their staff are exempt from Biden's vaccine mandate. Uh, Dara Roche. All right. Um, she wrote that article and you can go and uh, look it up. All right. And so finally on uh, tonight in our final segment, uh, the Wall Street Journal published an article by Douglas Belkin on September 6, 2021, uh, titled, A Generation of American Men Give Up on College. Quote, I Just Feel Lost. The subtitle uh, headline, uh, the number of men enrolled at two and four-year colleges has fallen behind women by record levels in a widening education gap across the United States. This is, again, by Douglas Belkin. September 6, 2021. It was uh, made available at 1.12 p.m. Eastern. And so, uh, unfortunately, they have locked me out now because I used my last one. Dang it. All right. But the top of it, which you can read, and I've got some notes on it, so uh, you can go read it yourself. Um, Men are abandoning higher education in such numbers that they now trail female college students by record levels. At the close of the 2021 academic year, women made up 59.5% of college students, an all-time high, and men 40.5%, according to enrollment data from the National Student Clearinghouse, a nonprofit research group, all right? U.S. colleges and universities have 1.5 million fewer students compared with five years ago, and men accounted for 71% of the decline. So, In the article, it talks about several factors. One is that uh, there's been a greater emphasis on uh, gender and specifically uh, women and supporting those individuals, giving them the resources in order to enter uh, the college environment, whether it's a two or four year situation. And uh, one of the individuals uh, quoted in the article, uh, she, uh, and I'm summarizing that she said, it just wouldn't look right uh, for us to place an emphasis on um, helping men um, enter into two and four year colleges. Okay. Now, Running underneath there, I'm sure, is the whole argument about uh, patriarchy, all right? Um, and, and those arguments that have been made by a segment of the population and a segment of in academia, all right? That this men have been, excuse me, hetero sexual white men have been the dominant patriarchal power in the West, right? And now it is time for women. Sure, you've seen those t-shirts, women are the future. Or uh, in Star Wars, I saw a group of them, uh, Kathleen Kennedy, who is the head of Lucasfilm, said, the force is female. Like, really? But anyways, all right? So you have this, this, this pendulum swing to providing a greater emphasis, resources towards women. And as a result, 
men are being left out. But here's one of the unintended consequences because the article goes on to then also look at ethnicities. And this is not only impacted white men, but it's also impacted, guess what? Black men and Latinos. So let's put this in the context of this whole discussion about equity and institutions of higher learning, creating these diversity, equity, inclusion departments and directors and seeking greater equity. So here's the question. How are you going to resolve the number of men, non-white men, who are not being reached in to attend two and four-year universities if you have gender saying, no, we don't need to focus on men? So does gender-type studies tell the diversity, equity, inclusion-type individuals at the same two or four year college and the recruiters, hey, when you go out there, don't focus on the black men or Latino men. Who you focus on is just the females. So then my next question becomes this, the thing you've got to consider. What about those women or young people who are transitioning to be men? So are we then not discriminating against transgender men? Something to think about. That intersectionality thing, man, that just like runs and headlong into a wall. Uh, oh, going on to say, what was the next thing? They, one of the things they don't tackle, and I think that needs to be brought up, is the greater emphasis now on vocational training that there are men who are just saying, Hey, you know what? I don't need to go to college. I don't need to get loans and be in debt coming out of college. There are things that I can do now, go into the military, learn a trade such as welding, plumbing, HVAC and make 80, 90 to a hundred thousand dollars now instead of going to a two or four year college, getting loans, and then I'm spending most of my time paying back my loans. So what you've got is you've got, you're gonna have from an economic standpoint, think about this. If more and more men are being encouraged to just simply pick up vocational activities, entrepreneurship, plumbing, welding, and those individuals are making dollar upon dollar, hand over fist, and then you have more women going into college, what is that going to do to the quote-unquote economic earning economic disparity between men and women? If you got more men just going into the workforce, earning high dollars, that over a four-year period, they are further ahead than somebody, man or woman, who has gone through college and they've got some type of loan, or they've gotten a degree that is just not available in the marketplace. Because guess who is determining the marketplace? Those individuals who said, you know what? I'm just going to go be an Elon Musk, or Jeff Bezos, or I'm just going to own an HVAC company, or I'm just going to open up my own welding business, so on and so forth. It, it it makes you wonder 
how we need to reevaluate college. Something to think about. But here's the thing. What stood out to me in the argument article and made me like, uh, was this one young man. Um, and he just said, I just feel lost. I just feel lost. So in my final uh, few minutes, I want to offer this encouragement to men. And I'm speaking to you men. All right. I'm speaking to you husbands, speaking to you fathers. I'm speaking to you young men that are 18, 19, 20 years old. You may be in college or you may be just grinding away at your work. Whatever the case is, I applaud you. Men, you have as much significance in this world as women do. Men, you contribute in significant ways just like women do. Do we all contribute in the same way? No, we do not. Do we have different skills and talents that exist within mendom? Yes, we do. Are there some men who just knock it out the park through physical attributes? Yep. Are there men who just knock it out the park through intellectual type attributes? Yep. Are there a mix of men like that? Yep. Are there men who are just extreme extroverts and can work a room? Yep. Are there men who like to be by themselves for the most part, like myself, who like to think through things? Yep. But we all as men contribute something. And you are valuable. You are powerful. You are unique. You are remarkable. And do not, and hear me when I say this, and this is no disrespect to women, but do not ever let a woman tell you that you are not a valuable contributor to this society in which we live. So three things I want to tell you, men. The first, we have to continue to learn to distinguish between pursuing our personal good and our personal happiness. There is a difference. Our personal good is those things that develop us in the long run that keep us on track to hit that particular target. So implied in that is make sure that you have something that you are aiming for. Have something that you are aiming for. And as you are aiming for that, do those things that assist you, those mental things, those psychological things, those physical things that are going to assist you in hitting that target. Now, this is different than pursuing your happiness. What do I mean? Ice cream makes me happy. Going to the movies makes me happy. Collecting this stuff back here, it makes me happy. But this I know. Ice cream, movies, collectibles, those things make me happy. I do them once a week, okay? But if I were to do those every day, every day, every day, right? They distract me from doing what is good that I have determined to help me hit my target. So 
those things that are good for me is reading, is studying, is listening to other people. Those things that is good for me is doing shows like this. This is seeking to for my personal good because my aim is to present a transcendent idea about the imageness of God that exists in men and women to flourish as human beings. That's my target. So I have to do those things that are more for my good than more for my happiness. So my encouragement to you men at whatever age is again, what is that target? And do more of what is going to help you reach that target, your personal good more so than pursuing personal happiness. The second thing is this, is have courage, men. I know there's men out there who wrestle with depression. I know there's men out there who wrestle with anxiety. I know there's men out there who feel like they don't measure up. They don't feel like they're a good enough husband. They don't feel like they're a good enough father. They don't feel like they're a good enough employee. They don't feel like their idea that they're trying to get manifest into the real world is ever coming to fruition. But this is what I say, have courage. Men have courage. And what is courage? Courage is acting in the face of fear, anxiety, depression, any of those things that are looming over you or that are casting a shadow over you. The courage is saying this, I'm going to get up and I'm going to continue to do this thing. What thing? Pursuing my good. So have courage. Are you going to fall on your face? Yes, you are. But you demonstrated courage. Are you going to knock it out the park at some point? Yes, you are. But you demonstrated courage in the face of that shadow. So men, stand up straight, straighten your back, throw your shoulders back, lift your head high, look forward at whatever you're aiming at, pull back that bow and let it fly. Have courage. And so something else I would say to a young man who says he feels lost is have discipline. Developing habits which are for your good. What are those things that you are going to do every day without fail? What are those things you're going to do every week without fail? Build on those every day, every week, every month, every year. Develop those habits. Start with yourself. Start with those around you and your your household. And then let that influence spread out from there. If you feel lost, it's because you're not aiming at something. You don't have a North Star. That when you look around and you're like, oh, there it is. I'm not lost. It can orient me. What is that thing that you're aiming for? So develop discipline, pursue personal good, more so than personal happiness. And above all, have courage to act in the face of fear. I know it's there. I got it. I got fear every day. All right. Stay courageous, young man. And it's going to be all right. Hey. All righty. That is the Humanity Matters show for September 12th, 2000 and. 
21. I am your host, Dr. Philip Fletcher. I am glad that you have uh, joined the show today, either live or rebroadcast. Again, uh, connect with me on social media at Philip Fletcher, Facebook, Dr. Philip Fletcher. Find me on YouTube. Subscribe over there, please. I'm trying to get 200. 200, right? Trying to hit that next benchmark, right? Also, you can find me over on my website, philipfletcher.org, philipfletcher.org. Also, don't forget, on September 27th, I'll be Humanity Matters 101 with Larry Sharp, veteran entrepreneur, former libertarian candidate for the governor of New York. That's going to be a great episode. Please join me on that. Also, coming your way, Fort Smith, Hendricks College. Fair Talks at UCA downtown. Be posting more about that later. And then don't forget about the Coho Game Night for our nonprofit, my nonprofit, City of Hope Outreach. Just go on Facebook. Make sure you like the Facebook page, the City of Hope Outreach. You'll see that event, Coho Game Night, $15 early bird special, $5 for the kids. It's a family outdoor event. It's going to be fun. Bago, cards, Jenga, Uno. Just a great time to get out, have a good time, support a great organization. I think it is. Um, and those funds will go to our, uh, our our work for the remaining part of the year. So, as always, remember to be love, be kind, be generous, be courageous. If we remember to live in hope, we can do the impossible. Y'all take care. God bless. Hey, if you found something of value, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Find us on Facebook at Dr. Philip Fletcher. Find us on Twitter at Philip Fletcher. And as always, visit us on the website, philipfletcher.org.